It's religion today, it's ideology today, and our secularist friends also have a faith. Some kind of Disneyland fantasy. I know how this is going to get heard in the secular world. Where the pseudo-Christian masks are off. That's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. Apologetics isn't just about giving answers to other people's questions. It's also about learning to question other people's answers or even question the question itself. In a Christian worldview. Well, welcome to Quantum number 132, podcast that likes to look at world news and culture from a Christian perspective. And we begin, well, I'll let you guess where we begin, because here's the national anthem of this country. That is the national anthem of Myanmar. And if you ever want to see a disconnection between the lyrics of the anthem and what's going on in the country, Myanmar, otherwise formerly known as Burma, is that country. The lyrics talk about where prevail justice and independence, equal rights and correct policies for people to live a peaceful life. Well, the military have just taken over in a military coup. Uh, Aung San Suu Kyi uh, has been arrested and she could go into prison. You know what she's been arrested for? This is not a joke. Illegally importing at least 10 walkie-talkies. She is a Nobel Peace Prize laureate, the leader of the country, which is the president of the country. She's also going to face jail time for alleged violations of coronavirus restrictions. Military junta's just love that. Uh, really, uh, in all, just quite e- extraordinary. And then what's going on in Italy as well. That's also quite extraordinary. In 2018, the Italian people voted in their election for change. They're always doing that. The centre-left bloc, led by Matteo Renzi, was rejected, losing 227 seats. Two populist parties, the Five Star Movement and the League, won a majority of seats formed a new government. They chose a university professor called Giuseppe Conte to serve as the Prime Minister. 2019, they fell out. The League was booted out of government and Conte continued with a new coalition of Five Star and their former enemies on the centre-left. Now that's collapsed. And Renzi, uh, he ousted Conti, but he hasn't got enough to get the job himself. And this is the thing that amazed me. Mario Draghi, the former president of the European Central Bank, is being nominated to be president, not by the political parties. So just get this. The Italian people gave European sceptic, Eurosceptic populists an absolute majority in 2018. But by 2021... The resulting coalition is choosing a Eurocrat's Eurocrat and without a democracy, without another election. It's hardly democracy, is it? It's a mess. And speaking of a mess, we'll stick with the EU and the EU vaccine debacle. Now, what's going on here? The EU has struggled with getting out the vaccine. It's one thing, and there's not many things that the UK has done right, but the UK seems to be doing remarkably well in terms of its vaccine, along with Israel and the United Arab Emirates. Uh, The EU hasn't been doing so well, and they've had a kind of 
spat with AstraZeneca about the number of doses they're getting and so on. And astonishingly, the EU Commission threatened to use the border in Northern Ireland, something they promised they'd never do. The border between Northern Ireland and Ireland, or Southern Ireland, they threatened to use that uh, under Section 16. Now, they've had to back down because the outrage about it is, is phenomenal. And I do think that this does teach us a great de deal about the EU. The EU, by its very design, is a technocratic elite. And they think they can run things better. They, they, you know, who needs the inconveniences of democracy? You know, there are arguments you can have for letting the experts run things without, you know, the problem of people getting elected, like the EU commissioners don't get elected. But then they have to be competent. And it appears the EU technocrats are not that competent. So I think that's going to be an interesting one to watch. All right, let, let, let's move on to something else. Let's move on to a new Disney film about death. Life is full of possibilities. You just need to know where to look. out on the joys of life like uh, pizza I can't smell we can't we can't taste either all that stuff is in your body no smell no taste or touch okay I get it Disney and Pixar soul get ready your life is about to start it's called soul an animated film it's trying to talk about meaning and purpose and I think where it seems to struggle, it appears to be the typical self-centered message about don't worry so much about why you're here. Just enjoy things while you go along. Just enjoy the things in life that bring joy. There's no real sense that human beings have a purpose and meaning as part of something bigger. In fact, it probably, there's an article in Premier Christianity which argues that it probably encourages uh, a hedonistic approach to life. The Premier article is generally quite positive about it, but I don't think I would share that positivity. Life is for living, so just enjoy it. Now, I think when you know Christ, you know that that is not a, a good way of looking at things. The delights of this world will never, ever come near the delights of knowing Christ. I think rather than the Disney version of Death, I prefer this. This is Blind Wooly McTell. Ah, oh, play that thing, boy. I know you're blue. Don't want no woman that rod around. They out in the tree. Ain't like a band foot clown. You made me love you. And you made me cry. You should remember that you were born to die. I love it. It's, believe it or not, that is from 1933. That's a, an original 1933 recording. Sound quality is not bad, eh? You should remember that you were born to die. Now for me. You were born to die. Yeah, that's the truth. 
We were born to die and we have to prepare for death. And we have to know that there's something beyond death. Now look here woman, give me your right hand. I go to my woman, you go to your man. You made me love you and you made me cry. You should remember that you were born to die. Okay, let, let's shift on to something completely different. I, I was going to try to explain what's happened with GameStop. And then the BBC put this up and I thought it was so good that um, I'll let them do the explaining. Say you own a share of an apple tree, one apple, and you're happy to lend it to me in exchange for some commission or interest. The value of this apple on the open market is £10, but I think that's going to go down in the next few days. So I immediately sell the apple for £10 and I've made £10. Brilliant, but I still owe you an apple. So in a few days time, when the price has fallen to £5, I buy an apple back and return it to you with an interest payment and I've made a nice profit. But if the price of the shares goes up after they've sold, then they're still on the hook for those shares, they have to return them, so they may be forced to buy them back at a higher price and can stand to lose a lot of money. And that's what happened with GameStop. People on the Reddit message board Wall Street Bets had noticed something about GameStop. That's a high street video games retailer in the US that's been struggling, especially during the pandemic. They saw that hedge funds were betting against GameStop in a big way. Well, as with any investment, the price could go back down and people who bought GameStop shares at a high price could lose money. But for many of them, it wasn't about making money in the first place. It was about sending a message. Many say this is a turning point for stocks and shares and it could happen again. I don't care about the money at all. Um, I could lose everything and I'd be so happy because uh, I just love what's going on. This could be a trend moving forward. I mean, we're playing within the rules. We're not sharing any insider information. It's just a collective group saying to buy specific stocks. I can't really control this. Once the internet takes hold of this, you, there's no stopping it. Okay. Um, to me, this is just utterly extraordinary. And I hate the idea of hedge funds um, basically gambling with people's jobs and people's lives. I, I, I find this way of making money just utterly appalling. I think it's right to invest in companies and to seek to make money out of that. But this practice of shorting, betting on companies failing is, I, I cannot see anything right about it at all. Okay, let, let's, we, let's come back to Scotland and let's come to COVID and let's come to Two different approaches from the churches. First of all, this was on BBC Radio Sunday programme. It's my friend, uh, the Reverend Willie Phillip from the Tron Church in Glasgow. Well, we believe that the government has overstepped matters because um, freedom of worship, freedom to uh, manifest religion is a very fundamentally protected uh, human right. Uh, and so in that sense, we believe that the enforced closure of churches, not just church buildings, but the, really the criminalizing of any corporate worship is unlawful and contravenes that. And it does seem that that has been the ruling in other jurisdictions in other countries where various uh, legal challenges have been made. So that's the position that I believe uh, that we're in. And 
the Lord Jesus Christ calls us to love our neighbors, um, and we, we do that, of course, primarily by witnessing to the ultimate rule of heaven, but also by supporting good earthly government. So we're not enemies of government. Uh, we want to help the government, but we just believe the government's made a mistake here. Now, Willie uh, has been defending, and in fact, he and others, uh, several other Scottish church leaders have gone to court against the Scottish government because of the decision of the Scottish government to close down Scottish churches. Now, the UK government has not closed down UK churches. So one wonders what the different science is in all of that. Uh, the Church of Scotland doesn't agree. In fact, it, it was out of the starting traps remarkably quickly uh, to disavow anything to do with this. Uh, this is their point of view. The Church of Scotland's position is that we are comfortable to work with the Scottish Government, understanding that this is a temporary measure, absolutely necessary, and that churches will reopen when it is safe for them to do so. I miss being in church. I miss being with my brothers and sisters. I long for the day when that will be possible again. But right now, let's do the right thing we know well we can worship individually and corporately online. That's the way of it right now. We hang in there, we do the right thing, and we trust that God will lead us through. Thank you. That was the Reverend Martin Fair from Arbroath. Does a good work up there, but... Well, I wonder what you think of that. It strikes me that the statement, the church is comfortable working with the government on diktats, I, I think that's probably correct. And for me, it's just a little bit disturbing. Uh, you know, it, this is not a simple question, but I can think of people who are in desperate need of proper pastoral care, meeting with God's people, being able to go into a church. Yes, even that. And I can't really understand why people are allowed to go into shops, which can be relatively crowded, and not go to church, it seems. And I also am not convinced at all by the notion that the government, having had this power, will not continue to use it. So I think on this one, uh, I'm with Willie Phillip, but be good to know what you think. And then I'm always grateful for those of you who contact me and let me know some news. And, and this was very, very interesting. I didn't know this. Um, on the trans issue, Airbnb are showing, you know, it's just, this is just this corporate woke thing again. Airbnb uh, sent a listener to this program the following. Airbnb does not assign a gender identity to our users. We consider the gender of individuals to be what they identify and or designate on their user profiles. And we expect our Airbnb community to do the same. This includes respecting the pronouns he, him, she, her, they, them, etc. Any users within the community identify themselves with. And they go on to say that we require you to agree to this policy to sign up for it so that you can continue to be a host in Air. B and B. Now, the truth is that I don't know why they're making this a policy because, in terms of, uh, they could, for example, request that you don't misgender someone, and if somebody came along and they, 
you know, they were a man who said they were a woman. I just make sure I never use their pronouns. Why would you use them? You speak to them direct. But Airbnb have got to virtue signal. And um, I, I loved another thing they said in this. Being an Airbnb host does not require that you endorse all of your guests' beliefs or differences, but that you still respect the individual and are inclusive despite the differences. Well, here's the thing. Airbnb are breaking their own rules because they consider the gender of individuals to be what they identify and or designate on their user profile. So Airbnb are requiring their customers, if you like, to sign up to a philosophy which says that the customers are not allowed to have their own philosophy, if you like, or their own beliefs and act upon them. It's virtue signaling, it's hypocrisy, it's corporate bullying. That's all that we can say. Okay, let's do some world news quickly in Honduras. Good news. The lawmakers in Honduras have uh, made a change to the national constitution that basically bans abortion or adds to the ban. The unborn shall be considered as born for all rights accorded within the limits established by the law. It is prohibited and illegal for the mother or a third party to practice any form of interruption of life on the unborn whose life must be respected from conception. Well, that's great news. Uh, Denmark, interesting thing. Churches in Denmark are warning that a proposed law threatening, intended to curb extremist Muslim preaching would actually severely restrict freedom of religion and financially cripple churches. They have a law on sermons in languages other than Danish. And that will be debated this month and it will require all sermons preached in foreign languages to be translated into Danish and submitted to the state for approval. Get that? Submitted to the state for approval. Scottish government... I'm sure you're going to be requesting that too. All sermons to be submitted to the state for approval. Speaking of which, what's going on in Scotland? I played you last week, Nicola Sturgeon, speaking about transgender. Well, she acted quick. Believe you me, she acted quick. She's got rid of Joanna Cherry, one of her biggest rivals, but also a very strong pro-feminist MP. She's gone. They're introducing the hate speeches law, uh, or the hate crime law, and... To speak as I've been speaking on this podcast wouldn't be a crime in Scotland. It's brutal. And then another bit of news, uh, good news, Australian wine. The Chinese put a what, 125% or a, no, in fact, it was a 212% tariff in November. Well, good for the Aussies because sales of Australian wine to the UK have surged almost 30%. Um, so they're exporting a whole lot more to Europe and to the UK. And they say that they've been helped by lockdowns and Brexit. So if you're in the UK and you want cheering up, get yourself some Aussie wine if, if you do drink. It's great stuff. And if, if you want cheering up, <laughs> listen to this. I love this story. But first of all, listen to this piece of music. And, and I hope you know what it is. This was a ship that put to sea. The name of the ship was a belly of tea. The winds blew up her bow, dipped down below. My belly boys blow. Soon may the weatherman come to bring us sugar and tea and rum. One day when the tonguing is done, we'll take our leave and go. 
Soon may the waterman come to bring us sugar and tea and rum. One day when the tonguing is done, we'll take our leave and go. That is Wellerman. Now, it's a it's a song. It's a 19th century sea shanty. What you heard was a version with the Scottish postman Nathan Evans, who posted it on TikTok. I think it's been viewed over 50 million times. It's extraordinary. And what people have been doing is, as you heard there, they've been joining in with harmonies. Um, now, please don't tell the Greens, but it's a song about whaling. But sea shanties are great. I just think this is a great story and good for Nathan. Um, and I love the way that this stuff happens. That's a really good use of the internet. And then as regards music, I guess this was a good use of it too. This is Captain Tom Moore. At the end of the storm was a golden sky and sweet to the song of the lark. Walk on Walk through on the wind, through the wind. Walk on. Walk on. Oh dear, um, Tom Moore has died, 100 years old, uh, apparently from a combination of pneumonia and COVID. Tom Moore, now Sir Tom Moore, has been a real um, cheer up thing for the for the UK nation, I think. But oh dear, there's always someone wanting to have a moan. And uh, of course, it's a, another clergyman, Church of England clergyman called the Reverend Jarrell Robinson Brown, who said that the commemoration of Captain Sir Tom Moore was a cult of British, white British nationalism. Um, by the way, uh, Jarrell is, uh, he's in a prestigious large church. He said that he is passionate about issues of justice, particularly in the areas of race and sexuality, and he has an interest in gender desire and ethnicity in late antique Egypt. Of course he does. Alongside liberation theology and queer theology. Well, do you know, Gerald, I'm with you in that I wouldn't join in the clap to Sir Tom Moore because I just think clapping, standing outside your door and clapping is just, I don't know. I'm sorry. I, I just don't buy into that at all. But as for not honouring Sir Tom Moore, I think he's been wonderful for the nation. And I think your comments are shameful and... I'm not sure what you were trying to do, whether you were just being daft or whether you were, whether you really are just that obsessed with uh, calling everything white British nationalism. All is fair in love and war. Miss Daphne Bridgerton. If this is to work, you must appear madly in love. 
The Duke truly has put your head in a spin. You think that just because I'm a woman, I'm incapable of making my own choices? That was Bridgerton. Now, I, I started, but I couldn't continue. It's just dreadful in every way. You know, raunchy sex and uh, period drama, but so, so woke. <laughs> and like Lady Danbury at one point says, look at our queen, look at our king, look at their marriage, look at everything it's doing for us, what it's allowing us to become. We were two separate societies divided by colour until a king fell in love with each one of us. But no, there wasn't a black queen. And no, there, there wasn't a lot of Indians and Africans in the court at the time. It's just rewriting history. Uh, as an article in The Australian said, turning the apex of British society in the Regency era into an overdressed version of the crowd you might encounter today at a bar in Kensington or Soho, or maybe Pado in Sydney. And tolerance is magically normalised. However, this is denying the reality of racial and social injustice. It's erasing historical reality. It is, bizarrely, a whitewash. George Orwell wrote about this. Let me give you this quote. It's a lengthy one, but worth it. Do you realise that the past, starting from yesterday, has been actually abolished? If it survives anywhere, it's in a few solid objects with no words attached to them, like that lump of glass there. Already we know almost literally nothing about the revolution and the years before the revolution. This is, of course, in 1984. He's writing this. Every record has been destroyed or falsified. Every book has been rewritten. Every picture has been repainted. Every statue and street and building has been renamed. Every date has been altered. And that process is continuing day by day and minute by minute. History has stopped. Nothing exists except an endless present in which the party is always right. I know, of course, that the past is falsified, but it would never be possible for me to prove it, even when I did the falsification myself. After the thing is done, no evidence ever remains. The only evidence is inside my own mind, and I don't know with any certainty that any other human being shares my memories. 1984. The book for 2021. Okay, we're going to love you and leave you with a wonderful song. Grant Parsons, I've been meaning to play this for a while. In my hour of darkness, in my time of need, oh Lord, grant me vision, oh Lord, grant me speed. I think it's extraordinarily beautiful, especially when you realise that it was written about a friend of his, an actor, Brandon De Vilda, who was killed in 1972 as a car he was driving, struck a park truck, I think. He was only 30 years old, and I think it was Grant Parsons and Emmylou who wrote this song to his memory. But whatever it was, it's a beautiful sentiment. In my owl of darkness. In my hour of darkness safely strum his silver string guitar and he played to people everywhere some say he was a star but he was just a country boy his simple song 
All right, I hope to see you next week. Keep sending in your comments. Uh, if you've got news, keep sending it in. Uh, if you'd prefer me to deal with an issue, but you want me to do so anonymously and not identify you, I'm very, very happy to do that as well. Um, please do continue to support on the Podbean. And uh, God willing, we shall see you next week. Then there was an old man Kind and wise with age And he read me just like a book And he never missed a page